trying to be right on the money, and we've walked through a whole lot of things over the last couple of weeks. Uh, God, we have everything that we have uh, is from God. He's given us everything, and so therefore we want to manage it well. And so we're we're living with eternity in mind. Uh, we're we're investing in things that will last. Uh, what the Bible calls storing up treasure in heaven. We talked about that last week, and and it isn't because God needs our money. Uh, he just knows that our hearts follow what we treasure, and so He doesn't want your money. He wants your heart, and uh, so that's that's a, a bit of a recap of where we've been. Being right on the money, then, is is really not a financial issue at all. It's it's a worship issue. If if I love God with all of my heart, uh, every aspect of my life, including my financial life, will reflect that. And and so when we get this right, it it brings something that many people probably don't experience in the realm of our finances. We all probably want it. It seems a little out of reach, but but if we get right on the money, then it brings contentment. Contentment, being content. First Timothy 6, 6, godliness with contentment is great gain. Hebrews 13, 5, keep your lives free from the love of money and be content with what you have. Living a godly, contented life gives us huge gains. This is great gain, but, it, but it's hard and, and that doesn't come naturally because we always tend to think, I, I think we think, that uh, usually more is better, right? We just, uh, more has got to be better, so we got to get more. And I was thinking about this in, in several uh, different areas uh, in in my life, I have a I have a 2012 SUV. It has 160. I think I just turned over 163,000 miles. Still going strong. Uh, the rust is uh, is is blooming considerably after so many winters here in in uh, northern Ohio. Uh, but it's it's reliable. It's got a lot of positive features. But I mean, I could certainly do better. And I mean, I need to have more features and get more. I, I mean, more has got to be better. And so I'm thinking, yeah, maybe, yeah. But anyway. From time to time, I enjoy a bowl of ice cream with some hot fudge on it, right? And that's a, a great, uh, great dessert. But wouldn't it be so much better if I, if I had the peanut butter sauce on there too, right? And, and some Reese cups all crunched up and, and whipped cream on there and a cherry on top. I mean, it'd be so much better if I just had more. More's got to be better. I have a, a, a four-and-a-half-year-old smartphone. It... it calls and it texts and it gets email and it plays games and and it takes good pictures Uh, but there's a new model coming out this spring and there are those cool ones that fold and stuff right and you can like you know the things right I I mean of course I need one that's that's newer and faster and better more is better we could think of a, a hundred different uh, examples, whether consciously or subconsciously, we tend to, to, to live by the thought that, that more is better and that plays out in our finances. Right? We, we want more so we can get more and we think that the more we consume, the better our lives will be, but at some point, scripture doesn't talk um, about more, it talks about contentment. We've, at some point, we've got to be content. Now, of course, we're going to buy things. And based on our individual needs and our tastes and our incomes and our, and our life situations, that's going to look different for each one of us. We're all going to buy things, and, and we need to do that. The question is, will we know when we have enough? And so discipline comes into play here, right? Being, being disciplined has to be a key component of being right on the money. Uh, and, and being disciplined in our finances uh, relates to a budget, 
In in many areas of life, uh, disciplines help us give up something we love in order to get something we love more. That's probably a good, it's not original to me, but I think it's a great definition. Disciplines uh, help us give up something we love so that we can get something we love more. Uh, For instance, I I, I love a, a good cheeseburger. Uh, maybe some uh, some bacon on there, and and I love French fries, and and, and I love uh, ice cream and hot fudge and peanut butter sauce so much that I've just mentioned it twice in the last two minutes, right? And uh, and and I also love being physically fit, and so I've learned most of the time I've learned how to say that's enough, and to kick in on the exercise so that I give up something I love for something that I love more. That's the thinking behind giving up something for Lent, right? And this Wednesday is, uh, is our Ash Wednesday service, and that's the beginning of the season of Lent, the six weeks uh, leading up to Easter. And, uh, and, and so uh, people, uh, the, uh, traditionally, it's not, not, in, not scriptural, but uh, uh, in, in church history for, for many, many years now, uh, different uh, strains of, uh, of Christianity, people have given up or, or fasted certain things during Lent as they focus on their relationship with God and uh, deny themselves of certain things. And so you might give up something you love, I, chocolate maybe, maybe, maybe hot fudge sundaes with peanut butter, so maybe you should give those up, right? Uh, it, for something that you love more, investing time in a, in, in a closer relationship with God. It, I mean, it's not magic, it's just, it's just a discipline that, that some people choose to do. We'd love to have you at our uh, Wednesday, uh, Ash Wednesday service this week. The, the same can be true in our finances, right? We give up something we love, maybe buying more for something that we love more, which in the long run uh, would be contentment. Right? Someone has said there are two kinds of pain, the pain of discipline or the pain of regret. And, and being disciplined in our finances, budgeting, helps us go through the pain of discipline so that we won't have this, the pain of regret. It, it, it can literally be a spiritual practice. <laughs> Lining out your budget can actually be a spiritual practice. I, just uh, uh, one place we'll go to first here in, in Scripture is in the book of Leviticus. Uh, they, uh, Leviticus, maybe you're aware, lays out a whole bunch of uh, uh, guidelines and rules and, and disciplines, I guess, uh, on a whole lot of topics. There are dietary guidelines and, and cleanliness guidelines and relationship uh, uh, direction for, for our relationships and, and sexual practices and, and, and even financial principles. And, and believe it or not, uh, those, those are helpful for us today. I want us to look at a, a, a small passage in Leviticus 19, beginning in verse 9. It says, when you reap the harvest of your land, do not reap to the very edges of your field or gather the gleanings of your harvest. Do not go over your vineyard a second time or pick the grapes that have fallen. Leave them for the poor and the foreigner. I'm the Lord your God. Do not steal, do not lie, do not deceive one another, do not swear falsely by my name and so profane the name of your God. I am the Lord. Do not defraud or rob your neighbor, do not hold back the, your weight, the wages of a hired worker overnight. A couple of things to, to, to pull out of that passage real quick. First of all, we need to recognize that everyone has a budget. And so we need to live inside of ours. Everyone has a budget, live inside. You. In this passage, there are three, uh, basically three different socioeconomic levels described here. They're the landowners. Those are the rich folks that, that own the land and the crops and they have employees, but there's still a budget there, right? They, they, they need to live in, inside of that budget. Basically, God says, yeah, the crops are yours, but the edges aren't. 
And the stuff that, that drops off the, uh, the, the, the grapevine, that's, that's not, it, leave that alone. There's a limit there. There's, there's a limit. You, you can't just do whatever, whenever, even, even for those landowners. There's also the employees described here. They're doing the work. They're getting their salary, their hourly wage, right? But the, there's a limit to that as well. They're getting what, what they need to get, what they've been, what's been agreed upon. God's providing for them, but it's not without a, a limit. And, and then there are the, uh, the poor and the foreigners, right? For whatever reason, they don't have a lot of options, but God is providing for them too. The edges of the field are reserved for them, but, but there's, there's a limit there as well. A, a key part of being right on the money is knowing that everyone has a budget and then living inside of yours. And the second point grows right out of the first. And not everyone has the same budget, so don't get greedy. Luke twelve fifteen says, be on your guard against all kinds of greed, Life does not consist in abundance of possessions. We, we seem like, uh, we seem to think that getting more is the goal. But that's not the goal. Richard Swenson in his book Margin uh, says it this way, nothing in scripture and in the chosen lifestyle of Christ could be clearer. Wealth is not an objective of the spiritual life. This is where contentment comes into play, right? We, we all have a budget, but not everyone has the same budget. So live within yours and don't get greedy or jealous because someone else might have more. Now, I, I, I know that there are a, a bunch of uh, uh, plans and courses to take or, or apps to download these days that, 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 that help us uh, uh, in this whole area of budgeting and finance and all those things and, and all, give all the details to practically live this out. But this is a, this is a sermon. It's not a financial seminar. Uh, maybe you were thinking that's where we were sliding to. I don't know. But, but I'm going to leave all those details to them. Maybe, maybe uh, you, that would be a great idea for you to look some of that up and, and figure out a plan and all those kinds of things, but, but I do think that there are three major principles laid out in scripture that we need to live by uh, as, as we're thinking about how we practically live this out, to, to be right on the money, to have our, our financial lives in order uh, with, uh, with, with, uh, with our spiritual lives in mind. Uh, three different principles, you, you'll, you see it at the, at the top of your outline there today, it's give, save, and live. Give, save, and live. So we're going to spend a, a little bit of time on each one of those today. And the first one is give. Now, we've talked a little bit about that uh, over the last couple of weeks, but, but I wanted to get uh, drilled down a little bit uh, more specifically on it. If, if you want to be right on the money, then you're going to be generous. We've talked about that. You're going to invest in eternity, right? You're, you're going to give your money and attention to the things that matter in God's economy, the things that are eternal, and uh, last week we, we established that the primary place to do that is the local church. Uh, and, and then the Bible gets even more specific, uh, and it says that, that we should give a tithe. Now we have focused uh, on, on several churchy words this morning, and this is one. This is yet another one. Uh, the, I've never heard this word outside of the four walls of a church. Uh, uh, it, it, the, the word tithe. So maybe you're not familiar with what that means, but a tithe is simply ten percent. When the Bible talks about tithing, it's talking about giving ten percent of what I earn to God through a church I believe in. Maybe you heard the story about two men who were shipwrecked on a deserted island in the South Pacific. They were lucky to be alive, but the island was, was, was so remote, just a, a whole lot of sand and one palm tree and, and a whole lot of ocean as far as the eye could see. 
One man was in a complete panic. He, he was pacing back and forth and he's ranting about how they're gonna die. They have no food and there's no drinking water and the sun is beating down on them and, and they're gonna die hungry and alone. And, and as he turned around though, uh, uh, post rant, he, uh, he looked and he saw the other guy wasn't stressed out at all. He's, he's sitting there uh, with his back against the palm tree, snoozing in the shade. And the first guy's incredulous and he said, what's wrong with you? Don't you understand this dire situation that we're in? And the second guy said, oh yeah, sure. I, I mean, we're, we're stranded uh, on this island uh, hundreds of miles from anywhere, but don't worry, don't worry. I, I make 10 grand a week. And the guy, well, who cares how much you make? 10 grand a week, that doesn't don't you understand? And the guy, no, you don't understand. I make 10 grand a week and I tithe. My pastor will find me. We've, we've already established that giving to eternal things, storing up treasure in heaven, is a vital part of being right on the money. And, and this tithe is, is the starting point. Incorporate a tithe of your income into your budget. It's an act of worship, and it teaches and, and brings contentment. Now, I, I've told you before that, that I have tithed from a very early age. When I got a dollar in my allowance, uh, I had to put a dime in an envelope in, and put it in the offering the next Sunday. I, at the time, maybe wasn't all that thrilled about that. Uh, now, looking back, I'm forever grateful for that habit and discipline that my parents ingrained in me. And over the years, we've had some, some, uh, some lean times at times, but we've always tithed 10% off the top to God through our local church. And, and I have to say, God has always provided. We have, we have had enough. We've had more than enough. Here's, here's what I've experienced uh, uh, time and time again, and I've heard uh, some of you testify to the same thing. 90% of my income with God's favor goes a whole lot farther than, farther than 100% without it, right? Uh, Malachi 3, 8 through 10 are mainly the, uh, are kind of the main uh, uh, passage, one of the main passages that talks about tithing. And it says this, and I say Malachi, those of you of Italian persuasion would pronounce this Malachi. I, I get that, I understand. And you gotta say it like when you say it's Malachi, you gotta have your hand, yeah. Um, Will a mere mortal rob God, he says, yet you rob me. But you ask, how are we robbing you? In tithes and offerings. You are under a curse, your whole nation, because you're robbing me. Uh, bring the whole tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will not be room enough to store it. Now, I mean, there's a big reason not to do this. Don't rob God, uh, and if, uh, because uh, if, if, you, if you give your tithe, then you'll be avoiding his curse, right? Uh, and, uh, and this seems a little ominous and whatever, but it's not only about that curse, but you're also going to receive this overwhelming favor and, and blessing that he described, opening up the floodgates of heaven and pouring out so much blessing, you won't even have enough room for it. Now, as your pastor... I, I care about whether you tithe or not, but maybe not for the reason that you're thinking. Uh, it's not about the money. Uh, I promise you, it's not, about the, it's, it's not about keeping the lights on at the church or paying the mortgage or, or funding children's ministries or where, wherever those, those dollars go. It, it's about worship. 
I care about your spiritual well-being. I care about your soul. I care deeply about you finding favor with God. So this is not a charitable contribution. It's an act of worship. It's, it's, it's obedience. It is not possible, I believe with all my heart, it is not possible for you to have full peace and joy and intimacy with God until you settle the financial issue in you, in your faith, until you are right on the money. Maybe you've heard the name Peter Marshall uh, before, a former chaplain of the U.S. Senate, and uh, he, he had a man come to him uh, with, a, uh, with a concern about tithing. He said, uh, Chaplain Marshall, I, I have a problem. I've, I've been tithing for some time, and, and it wasn't too bad when I was making 20000 a year. I could afford to give up 2000 but now that I'm making $500,000 a year, there's no way I can afford to give away fifty grand a year. Peter Marshall didn't give any advice right away, but instead he said, yes, sir, I, I, I see that you have a problem, and I think we ought to pray about it. Can, can we do that? Let's pray right now. So the man agreed, and Dr. Marshall put his hand on, on that man's shoulder, and they bowed their heads right where they were standing, and, and, and Chaplain Marshall said, dear Lord, this man has a problem. And I pray that you will help him. Please reduce his salary back to the place where he can afford to tithe. Most of the time, our own choices put us in a place where we can't afford to tithe, right? But if if you really believe all the stuff that we've been talking about, well, that I've been talking about, that hopefully you've been uh, uh, picking up, uh, if you really believe that God owns it all, that you can trust God, that, that, that God is the one who blesses, that, that you are blessed in order to be a blessing. If, if, if you believe all of that, it completely makes sense. You, we have to make this shift in our mindset first. That, 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 uh, and we start, have to buy into this, this whole concept of, uh, of God's idea of being right on the money. And, and then, once we buy into that, we'll do the hard work of readjusting our, our, our finances, our lifestyle, our budget for the kingdom of God. So I guess that's one of the goals today is that if you need to, restructure your personal finances with God first. If you don't pay God, here's another thing I've I've found. If you don't pay God off the top, you're never gonna have enough at the bottom, right? Uh, maybe, Maybe you haven't, planned ahead for that and so you hear that and you go well I can't afford to do that I've got to pay this and this and this and we've got and 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 you do you need to get those things so maybe this is a this is a goal to work toward and over the next six months or the next year or the next two years you're going to be working to readjust things so that God is getting the first what scripture calls the first fruits we we bring what what uh what, bring to him first before we do anything else uh, another story about about a missionary who received a knock on the on the door of her hut one afternoon and and one of the the new converts she'd been working with was was there and and, and held up this big fish and and gave it to her and said this is my tithe and that was very meaningful because she'd been talking with them about this and it was a, a big shift for, for them in that culture of that day. And, and so she thanked him and then she, she looked around and she said, well, if this is your tithe, uh, there should be more fish. Where, where are the other nine fish? And he said, oh, they're still in the river. <laughs> That's giving to God first before you even have the rest, right? It's an act of worship. It's what we have described here, what scripture describes as storing up treasure in heaven that's the uh the, the the give 
part of this give, save, live. We won't go near as long with the, uh, with the others. But, but uh, uh, so uh, the, the principles that, that, that the scripture lays out about being right on the money, give, save, live. Second is save. Uh, it, it's wise to set funds aside in preparation for what might come. Uh, Proverbs 21.20, the wise store up choice food and olive oil, but fools gulp theirs down. whatever your system, whether you use envelopes or you have automatic transfers to your savings or or you're just disciplined and set it aside, it is a solid financial practice to save. And to to also involved in this saving up for things, not necessarily trying to just get everything all at once. Now this could be a a, a problem uh, because it could slip quickly into putting our trust in our savings. Well, I've I've amassed this much, so uh, on a rainy day, now I have my rainy day fund and I can kind of rest in or trust in those funds instead of trusting in God. Last week we saw in 1 Timothy 6 that we shouldn't put our hope in our wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put our hope in God. So we can't rely on that savings for our security, but scripture does tell us that we need to be wise and we need to plan ahead and we need to save up for things. So, so give, save, and then, of course, after you do those, live on the rest. Live on the rest. That sounds great, but, but so many of us don't, right? We, we live on more than the rest, don't we? We live outside of our budgets. Uh, Proverbs 22, 7 says, the borrower is slave to the lender. And if you have debt, then you know that's true. The bill comes every month and it has to be paid and... And uh, Larry Burkett, a financial, a Christian financial advisor, um, uh, said in, in the past, God doesn't prohibit borrowing, but he certainly does discourage it. In fact, every biblical reference to it is negative. And we could go into all the issues of debt and all those things, but I just want to say that living on the rest, so we give, we save, and we live on the rest, living on the rest isn't negative. In fact, it's, it's awesome. Living with, within your budget doesn't have to be depressing. I think we, we hear these things and we go, well, you're just trying to steal all the stuff that I want to enjoy. No, it's, it's contentment. We can have fun. You can provide for your needs. You can get some stuff that you want. You can give to others. I mean, it's, it's a blessing. You can do all of that if you've taken the time and made the effort to organize your life to be right on the money. So, just to summarize, and, and uh, uh, hopefully you've caught some of this over the, next couple, or, or over the last couple of weeks. Being right on the money means that we're, uh, the, these principles are true in our lives and that we believe them. First of all, God owns everything. It's, it's not my money. It's, it's from God. Dude, he brought the pie, Right? Uh, I, I can trust God and he blesses me and when he does, he blesses me with enough. Maybe it doesn't feel like it sometimes, but, but I believe and I trust that God has blessed me and, and I'm blessed not only to enjoy those things in my own life, but also to be a blessing to others. I am blessed to be a blessing. I'm, I'm not living for this life which is temporary. Like, like those, uh, playing those board games we talked about uh, a couple of weeks ago, how, how when it's all over, it just goes back in the box and, and, and all that happened in that game doesn't, ma- doesn't matter that, that uh, Uncle Carl was, uh, was the, the millionaire of the day because it all goes back in the box and everybody just goes back to real life, right? But it, it, it's temporary and so many times we, we invest ourselves in the things that are temporary but, uh, but instead we need to invest in the eternal. Eternal, storing up treasure in heaven. 
Today we've talked about tithing and uh, tithing to my local church is the primary way that I store up treasure in heaven. Saving is a biblical and wise practice and I live within my budget and enjoy all that God provides. All of those things and probably a whole lot more are included in being right on the money when it comes to our spiritual lives and our financial lives. I want to share a little uh, uh, snippet of a speech that I ran across a while back. You've, you've heard of the author Stephen King. He's known for writing horror novels, not necessarily known for his theology. I, I get that, but, but I want you to listen to what he said in a commencement speech at Vassar College several years ago. This is part of, part of what he shared with those graduating students. A couple of years ago, I found out what you can't take it with you means. I found out while I was lying in a ditch at the side of a country road covered with mud and blood and with the tibia of my right leg poking out of the side of my jeans like a branch of a tree taken down in a thunderstorm. I had a MasterCard in my wallet, but when you're lying in a ditch with broken glass in your hair, no one accepts MasterCard. We all know that life is ephemeral, but on that particular day and in the months that followed, I got a painful but extremely valuable look at life's simple backstage truths. We come in naked and broke. We may be dressed when we go out, but we're still just as broke. Warren Buffett, going to go out broke. Bill Gates, going out broke. Tom Hanks, going out broke. Steve King, broke. Not a crying dime. All the money you earn... All the stocks you buy, all the mutual funds you trade, all of that is mostly smoke and mirrors. He goes on to tell those students, so I want you to consider making your life one long gift to others. And why not? All you have is on loan anyway. All that lasts is what you pass on. So I ask you to begin giving. I think you'll find in the end that you get back in return far more than you ever gave and did more good than you ever dreamed. I've found that when I take the time and I make the effort to be right on the money, not only do I please God, but it brings something that seems so elusive these days, contentment, right? Peace. A peace that passes all understanding that's promised to us when we lift our needs and requests to God. And as Paul says in Timothy, godliness with contentment is great gain. 